Father, we thank you for these men, for David, for Cipriano, for Daniel, that have answered the call and have said yes, that said, you have my surrender. And as they lay their lives down for service to you and your church, we ordain them, we set them aside for this special purpose. We dedicate them to you and we ask for your divine protection over their lives. We ask for a hedge of protection around their marriages and their families. We ask that you will infill them with your spirit that they might serve you. We ask that they would keep their eyes on you, that they might not veer to the right or to the left as they follow you passionately. And we ask that as they serve and lead, that all of us together might be disciple makers for the glory of God among the nations. It is our prayer with gratitude in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you rejoice? Amen. We're so thankful. Men that have been ordained have been compelled to serve. God has called them. They have said yes, and they are compelled by that call to serve the kingdom and to serve the king. And that's the, the, the title of today's message is Compelled. We're in a series that uh, we're going through the book of Nehemiah, and we're calling the series Rebuild. And we uh, looked at chapter one and we talked about Nehemiah's call and how we are called. <clears throat> we, uh, we talked about the courage. Pastor Marcus uh, preached last Sunday, talked about the courage that he took for Nehemiah to face the king and go on this journey that he felt he needed to go on. And then today we're gonna talk about what it means to be compelled, how Nehemiah was compelled and how he compelled the people to rebuild. And as we do that, I want to remind us that God has a call on our lives. God calls pastors, God calls missionaries, God calls deacons, but God calls you too. Each one of you has a calling. And as you think about God's call on your life, you, you know that it takes courage to answer that call. It takes faith, it takes commitment, and, and you need to live compelled by that call. And so, uh, the question today is how are you compelled uh, by God's call on your life? Let's look at our text, which is found in Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll pick up right where we left off last Sunday. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. And it reads like this. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or 
what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Nehemiah went to Jerusalem answering God's call to rebuild the city. He lived in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And he lived towards the end of the Jewish exile. You know that centuries before Nehemiah's period, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, uh, otherwise known as Israel, and, and the, the central city in that kingdom was Samaria. And then there was the southern kingdom, which was also known as Judah. And the central city of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem. In the year 722 before Christ, the Assyrians came and they took the northern kingdom into captivity, really never to come back again. And then centuries later, as Judah was the only kingdom left in the promised land, the Babylonians in the year 587 before Christ came and took the rest of the Jews captive, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And they spent a lot of time in Babylonian exile, away from the homeland, away from God, away from uh, the prosperity, away from the freedom, away from their memories and their culture and all of those things. And it was during this time that uh, many kings rose up and the Babylonian kingdom was followed by the Persian kingdom. And one of the kings uh, of Persia, Cyrus, decided that he would allow Jews voluntarily to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And so uh, some of them began to return uh, for this task of rebuilding the temple, which was very important. And it is after that time that Nehemiah appears on the scene. Several kings later, after King Cyrus, uh, we, we know of this king that is mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 2. There is a tomb of King Xerxes that is found in modern day Iran. And you can see uh, a picture here. If you ever go uh, on tourism to Iran, maybe you want to put this on the checklist. All right, thank you for chuckling, some of you. Um, but you can see the picture anyway. And King Xerxes spent a lot of time in a fortress city, a citadel called Susa. And that is where Nehemiah found himself when he heard the news about what was going on in Jerusalem. You can see, uh, if you see a map of the Persian Empire, you see how vast this empire is. It, it covered a lot of country. And you see on the right-hand side of the map, with a red arrow, we pointing to Susa. That is where Nehemiah was, where, where King Xerxes was, where, where Nehemiah was a cupbearer to him, and they had this conversation about going back to Jerusalem. So you notice that Nehemiah had to go all the way across the uh, Medo-Persian uh, kingdom and then go... Um, uh, go west and then go south all the way to Jerusalem. It was a long journey. When God calls us, he often calls us to long journeys. Abraham's journey took him all his life. When he called the Hebrews out of Egyptian slavery, it took them 40 years, a generation, 
before they got to the promised land. When, when he calls Nehemiah, he calls them to go on this long trip, on this long journey. Our home fellowship has a couple of people who are brave enough to, to run marathons. And so a couple of weeks ago, two of them ran a marathon and I just admire them. I get tired of just hearing about it, of just watching it, of just seeing their soreness. And they sort of inspired some of the other people in the home fellowship to run. And, and so yesterday there was a 10K in Edinburgh. And uh, a, lot, a lot of people from the fellowship went and, and, and they, they went to the 10K. I was going to say they ran, but no, they, they went to the 10K. Some of them ran, some of them walked, and some of them finished, you know. Uh, but uh, when we talk about marathons, we talk about endurance. We talk about preparation. We talk about focus and about commitment and about dedication. When God calls you, he doesn't call you to be a flash in the pan. When God calls you, he doesn't call you to a sprint. He doesn't call you to show up and then leave when things don't go well. When God calls you, he calls you to stay. He calls you to endure. He calls you to stay in the race. I went to Jerusalem. Nehemiah says. It's a short phrase, but it is a long and enduring commitment to God's purpose. There are at least three things, I think, that compelled him and, and that he used to compel the people of God. Let me mention them to you. First, rebuild for the dignity of the people. When, when Nehemiah received the news from a distance that Jerusalem was in shambles, it broke his heart when he knew that the walls were broken and the gates were burned, it bothered him to no end. But now he had come to Jerusalem personally. He came to see with his own eyes. He, he didn't read it in a push notice on his iPhone. He didn't hear it from Fox News or CNN. He showed up and, and he touched the walls. He, he smelled the smells of the trash and the rubble that was all around there. He, he, he assessed the situation personally. He, he wanted to know what was going on before he even spoke to anybody. And now, as he's there in, as he's there in Jerusalem, once he has a sense of the condition of the wall, once he understands what he's up against, he now addresses the people. Now think about this, the people had been there for quite some time. I don't know if, you, if you've ever been in a place that, that has been without uh, a lot of hope and a lot of movement for a long time and then some new guy shows up with a great idea and people say, yeah, we've done that, we've tried that. You're the new guy, what do you know, right? So Nehemiah has to find a way to compel the people to do something. They've come to accept the status quo. They've come to be happy with their situation. If maybe not happy, they've come to at least learn how to survive in it. And, and, and how can one guy make a difference? Can one person really make a difference? How can he compel them to do something about it? Look, look at verse 17 and, and see what he says to them. It says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. You see, what Nehemiah realized 
as he assess the situation is that the people of God had lost their dignity. They had lost their confidence as a people. They felt that they were in disgrace. And in a sense, they were. They thought that if somehow, if they would just come back from exile, all those years being in exile, all those years being away from the homeland, they said, if we can just get back to Jerusalem, everything's going to be all right. You know, when you say that, if I could just get this, or if I could just get there, or if I could just accomplish this, everything would be fine. And they said, you know, if we could just get back to Jerusalem, everything will be fine. And they got back and they realized that not everything was fine. And they began to lose confidence. They began to wonder why they were there, what they were doing and what God was up to. The broken city wall and, and the burned gates were a reminder that any army around them could at any time trample them down. Every time they looked at the broken walls and at the burned gates, they, they were reminded of the many times that people defeated them. The memories of defeat kept coming to their mind. That's what happens sometimes, isn't it? You keep remembering the times that, that you fell, the times that you've been defeated, the times that you've been down, the times that you feel forsaken and forgotten, and, and that's what was going on with these people. And it is then that the Nehemiah says, let us rebuild, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I, I heard a story about a, a little boy by the name of Daniel. Daniel uh, uh, was a, a, a little boy that, my friend Albert Reyes met in Oaxaca, Mexico. He, uh, he, he attended a family hope center there and, uh, and he made this ark, this like Noah's ark with his own hands and, and he gave it to Dr. Reyes and he said, I want you to have this because this ark reminds me that when I come to this place, I feel safe, I feel, I, I feel safe. And so uh, Dr. Reyes learned Daniel's story, Daniel grew up in a, in a very uh, depressed area of Oaxaca and his, he was the oldest of his family and his mother, instead of sending him to school, she would send him in the mornings to go sell chewing gum and other things in the streets. And he had to meet a quota. There was a certain amount of pesos that he had to bring back home at night. And if he didn't bring the quota, his mom would beat him. She sometimes even used a knife to, to cut his feet. And he would go without supper. And, and that way he would learn that the next day when he went out there, he better sell every piece of chewing gum that he had. And so every day that he went out, he went out in fear. And, and every time he would come back home, he came back in fear because his mom was abusive and, and because he might go without a meal again. And one day he discovered this family hope center and and when he went in they put a brand new pair of shoes on his bruised feet and they fed him some food and they treated him with dignity and he said that's that's why I'm giving you this ark because this place to me is is like this ark when I'm here I feel safe and what he was really saying when I'm here I have dignity when I'm here I have hope see for some people a pair of shoes is about looks. A pair of shoes is about comfort. But, but some, for some children, a pair of shoes is about dignity and about hope. For some people, walls and doors and windows are, are about aesthetics. 
For some people, walls and doors and windows are about real estate value. But some people, it's about hope. It's about dignity. Rebuilding the walls and the gates in Jerusalem was about hope and dignity for the people of God. Let us rebuild and we will no longer be in disgrace. This last Sunday, uh, there was the Grammy Awards on, on television and uh, one of the pop artists, Demi Lovato, had dropped out of the scene for a couple of years. She had overdosed uh, with drugs and, and was struggling with chemical dependency issues. And, and then she came back on the scene at the Grammys and uh, debuted a, a brand new song called Anyone. Let me read you the lyrics. It says, I try to talk to my piano. I try to talk to my guitar. Talk to my imagination, confided into alcohol. I tried and tried and tried some more. Told secrets till my voice was sore. Tired of empty conversation because no one hears me anymore. A hundred million stories and a hundred million songs. I feel stupid when I sing. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody's listening. I talk to shooting stars, but they always get it wrong. I feel stupid when I pray. So why am I praying anyway if nobody's listening? Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. Oh, anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. You know, it's not just the poor that need hope. The rich and famous are desperate for hope. They're desperate for someone who would bring dignity and meaning and hope to their lives. Can one person make a difference in such a broken world? Can you and I make a difference in a world that's looking for anyone, anyone that would care? Are there any Nehemiahs today here who will say, let us rebuild hope for a world that is broken? Let us rebuild for the dignity of the people let us rebuild for hope. Secondly, rebuild because of divine provision. As Nehemiah tries to compel the people to action, he calls them to rebuild because of divine provision. Nehemiah might have been just one guy, but God's hand was on him. And he knows it. Verse 18, I also told him about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah told the people how God had been with him. He said, God gave me grace. And as I talked to the king and, and, and he noticed my sad face, I told him why I was sad. And, and I asked him for a leave of absence. And you know, in those days, if a king had, had uh, people in his court, uh, he didn't let go of them easily. If they were good, he didn't let go of them easily. In fact, it was dangerous because if you ever said anything or did anything that the king didn't like, you might get killed. And so, uh, so Nehemiah says to the people, look, I went to the king of Persia and I asked him for a leave of absence. And he said, go, go and, and, and take care of that. Help the people rebuild. And he said, and, and, and not only did I ask him for that, but I asked him if he would give me uh, letters uh, for safe passage because as I would travel, there would be other, others who could attack me along the road. And, and I wanted the king to say, you know, he has my protection. And not only did the king 
gave him letters of safe passage, but he sent an army with him. He sent a guard with him to protect him. And, and throughout the whole journey, he had, he had part of the king's army protecting him. And Nehemiah got really bold. You know, something happens when you pray a lot, you get bold. And Nehemiah said, not only did he ask for a leave of absence, not only did he ask for safe passage, but he asked, you know what? I need lumber to rebuild. Can you make some arrangements? You got connections, don't you, king? You know people who know people, don't you? Would you connect me with somebody that can hook me up with some lumber? And the king did. And, and so Nehemiah tells the people, listen, I might be one guy, but the hand of God is with me. God has been with me all along. I'm not acting on my own. You know when God is in it, you know it. When God is in it, you can't go wrong. When God is in it, he will provide everything that is needed. He'll, he'll bring things together so that you can rebuild. Whether you're rebuilding your life or rebuilding your home, your family, or, or rebuilding in the work of God. I had lunch with, with Jacob this week. And uh, Jacob is someone who's been coming to our church for, for a few months. And he, he's, he moved him from Dallas. Uh, came from a Mormon background, hadn't stepped in a church since he was like 18 years old because he was turned off by some of the things that, that he thought religion offered and, and he never had interest to step in a church. But he came down here, his job sent him here and, and, uh, and uh, he didn't know that there was something called Rio Grande Valley. And so he showed up and then he met someone uh, that's a Christian and she comes to our church and I guess she said to him, look, if you want to date me, you got to go to church with me. So, uh, so, uh, so the, they're sitting here today, so they're kind of snickering. Uh, so uh, he showed up that first day to church, and he was just kind of checking the place out, looking around and seeing what kind of weirdos come to Baptist churches. And, uh, and, 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 and he, he told me, as I was having lunch with him this week, he goes, I want to be baptized. I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. He, he said, you know, I didn't even know the valley existed, but, but there are things that God has been putting in place. If you'd have told me several years ago that I would be dating a Christian girl, that I'd be going to church, that I'd be having lunch with a pastor, I would have laughed at you. He said, but, but I'm, I'm about to get a home and, and I see the future's bright. He goes, and I heard that first sermon of Nehemiah. He goes, that's me. I'm rebuilding. I'm rebuilding. You see, when God is at work, you can have confidence that you're not by yourself, that God is orchestrating everything so that he can direct you into his purpose. When you see the hand at work, you can say with confidence, I will rebuild. Let us rebuild. Let me say something to you, church. God's hand is on this church. Now, uh, our pastoral staff, we, we went away a couple of weeks ago on a retreat to look at the things that are going well, to look at the things that we need to improve or we need to refocus and, and rebuild. And, and, and we're working in this process of looking at the future, but there's one thing that we're certain about. God's hand is on Calvary Baptist Church. God is with us. Like the people of Nehemiah's day, we can rise up with confidence and say, let us rebuild. Let us launch into God's new future. Let us engage into the mission of God. 
Let's restore hope to the people that are hopeless. Let's bring confidence to those that are lost looking for anyone. We will rebuild because of divine providence. And thirdly and finally, rebuild towards a destiny of purpose. Nehemiah compelled the people of God to be about the rebuilding because of dignity. He compelled them to be about the mission of rebuilding because of God's hand of provision. But then he also compelled them because of a destiny of purpose. Finish with me the text in verses 19 through 20. It says, but when Sambalat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or in any claim or historic right to it. Just when everything seemed to be going well, everything was falling into place. Now Nehemiah runs into opposition. He had found grace before the king of Persia. He had safety along the way. There was provision for rebuilding. When he addressed the discouraged and disheartened people of Judah, the people responded well. Everything was going well. And now these three stooges show up. (laughs) These three uh, people who are low-level governors are ridiculing him, bad-mouthing him, criticizing him. Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. It's interesting that history records the names of great leaders, and it records the names of those who oppose the great leaders. But at least Nehemiah got a book named after him. I've not read Sambalat yet. When you look at the city of Jerusalem on a map, you you can see that there were people who had settled around it during the exile. They had crept up on it. And and so you had the the Arabs coming from the southwest. You had uh, the Ammonites coming from the west. And then from the north, you had uh, those like Sambalat from Samaria. They had no interest in the prosperity of Jerusalem. They were people who had some influence and some control in those areas. And, and it was to their advantage that Jerusalem would remain in ruins. It's, it's sad when some people benefit from the demise of others. The scriptures remind us here that, that when we venture out on God's mission, there will be opposition. Listen, just because you're doing God's will doesn't mean everybody's going to be your cheerleader. Just because you decide to follow Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be popular with everyone. There will be some who will criticize you, who will ridicule you, who will badmouth you. In fact, I I believe that opposition is a sign that you're doing something right. I, I, I think if you don't want opposition, then don't do anything. You won't be a threat to anybody. You won't be a menace to anybody. But, but when you decide to do something, when you decide to follow God into his mission, be ready for some opposition. Be ready for some pushback. And notice that Nehemiah did not let this discourage him. He doesn't address the question. They are saying to him, listen, are you, 
Are you trying to rebel against the king? Do you, are you trying to do something here that goes against the king of Persia's will? And you know, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He, he had his permission, but they were questioning his loyalty. They were thinking that he was some kind of insurgent or rebel. Do you notice that Nehemiah doesn't try to convince them? He doesn't say, no, he doesn't name drop. He doesn't know, you know, Sarkis and me, you know, we, we go out and we drink wine. Well, he was a cupbearer, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't try to name drop. You know what he does? He doesn't point to the king of Persia. He points to the God of heaven. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. That was the clear destiny that Nehemiah was familiar with. The God of heaven will give us success. And there are only two options. Either you join in the rebuilding and you enjoy the blessings of prosperity for the city, or you stay out of both rebuilding and the blessings and the prosperity of the city. Nehemiah had a sense of destiny, of purpose. God would give him success. The future was clear. And that gave him confidence for the present. God's destiny was straightforward. And when you know that, you can face whatever opposition will come your way. When you know that God will fulfill his purpose, then you can join him with confidence. When you know that God will keep his word, that he's a promise keeper, then you can move towards his destiny with confidence. Yes, there will be opposition. Yes, there will be those who criticize you. Yes, there will be those who will misunderstand you, but you don't have to be discouraged for the battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. You might feel like you're losing the battle, but he's already won the war. You're on the winning side. We have a victor for a captain and we follow him. We, we have uh, one of our young men and his wife, who we sent out as missionaries to Western Europe a couple of years ago and just wonderful couple. And, uh, and, and we sent them out and they have been in, in Western Europe trying to minister to uh, immigrants from Northern Africa and other parts of the world from the Middle East, primarily Muslim background people. And so uh, our, our friends from Calvary, and I'm not gonna say their names or the countries for, for security reasons, but, but uh, they, they speak Spanish and they speak English very well, but, but as they arrived there, they had to learn French because a lot of people from Northern Africa speak French so that they could minister to them. And, and they had difficulties and, and they had challenges and it gets difficult sometimes. And they were trying to figure out what God was doing in their lives for, for these two plus years. And then they, they came up to another country in Western Europe and, and uh, they visited uh, a city in the northern part of that country. And, uh, and, and our friends were some of the only Spanish speakers in that area. And there was a center uh, for, to help immigrants where people could come to learn Spanish. And there was not a lot of Spanish speakers in the center. And so our French, you know, decided that he would volunteer. He says, well, I'll help. I'm here for a while and I'll help start these, these lessons. And so he did. And then eventually God started moving things around so that they would move from the country that they were in to this new country. And recently 
One of these Muslim men that came to learn language at the center told our young man, he said, listen, would you meet me at such and such place so that you can tell me about your Jesus? And he said, I'd love to. So they met and, and our friend started telling him about Jesus and the gospel. And every word that he was saying, everything he was saying, the Muslim man was agreeing with him. He's from the Middle East. And when he finished, he said, would you like to, to follow uh, Jesus as your Lord? W would you like to be his follower? He said, yes. He said, I had a dream about this. And everything you're saying to me confirms the dream that I had. And so he led him to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then the Muslim man said, can I get baptized now? And he said, yeah. And, and, and we're going, he, he had the four gospels in Arabic. And he says, I'm going to give this to you. I want you to read it uh, every day, read a little bit. And then we're going to get together once a week and we're going to talk about it. Well, he went home and he read the four gospels in one night. After two and a half years of difficulty, the first Muslim convert. You know, sometimes we face opposition, but God is always at work. And he promises that he will give us success in the mission. God has, has his hand on our church. He wants our, our church to be a people of hope. He wants Calvary to be a people that, that mobilize and multiply so that the entire Rio Grande Valley can have an opportunity to know the hope that is in us, who is Jesus Christ. God wants this church to be a disciple-making church that, that influences not just the Rio Grande Valley, that not only brings hope to every person who's looking for hope, but, but, but that mobilizes people to Chiapas and the Amazon, to the Philippines, to China, to the Republic of Georgia, to Spain, and to other parts where God has given us strategic partnerships. God has said that when we obey him, he will be with us and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He will give us success in the mission. We have challenges. We will face opposition. The journey ahead is long and difficult. It has a high cost to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to be a church on mission will cost us. It will cost us time and money and hurt and, 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 and talent and service. But the destiny is sure. God will give us success. There are only two options. You can either join God in his mission and enjoy all the blessings that come with that. Or you can sit on the sidelines and watch from a distance and miss out on the blessings of a fulfilled mission. We're compelled because people need dignity and hope. We're compelled because God's hand is on us. We're compelled because our destiny of purpose is sure when we obey Jesus Christ. Will you rise up? Will you join God's purpose? Will you be a disciple maker? Will you say, yes, God, you have my surrender, you have my time, you have my money, my home, my talent, my relationships, here it is. I want to be about your mission. I want to rebuild and we will no longer be in disgrace because I know that the God of heaven will give us success. Would you stand with me?
as you bow your head and you think about how is it that God is calling you to respond today? What is the step of faith or obedience that is required of you right now? Will you say yes to him? Will you be a compelled disciple maker? Where do you need to start? Is it in the area of prayer? Is it in the area of giving? Is it that you need to make a commitment today to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you need to maybe follow him in believer's baptism? Is God calling you to share your faith with someone? Do you need to join a group so that you can be discipled and become a disciple maker? Is there someone in your life that God has placed there so you can mentor them, coach them? How is it that God is calling you today? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Nehemiah and his incredible example of faith and obedience. We want to be disciple makers who love and obey Jesus. That's easier said than done. But we want to be committed to that. And whatever it means, wherever you lead us, and whatever you ask of us, we want to do it. Oh God, save us from complacency. Save us from being like those people that, that live in a city with broken walls and burned gates and don't do anything about it. Let us rise up and join you in the mission of bringing hope to a broken world. Do it in me, God. Whatever you want of me, I want to do it. I'm too weak. I'm too limited. I'm too carnal. I need your grace. I need your spirit, God. Give us your spirit that we might be able to obey you. As you think about what God has said to you today as you respond to him, I want to encourage you as well to, to prepare your heart for communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder that Christ has given everything to give us hope, to restore us, and that we can make a commitment to do the same thing for others. So maybe there's sin you need to confess. Maybe there's gratitude that you need to think about. Just prepare your heart 